of you thankful for Jesus this morning? Amen? Anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? It's great to be back with you this, uh, this morning. Last week, our staff had an opportunity to get away for a staff retreat. Uh, we used to do this every year. In the last few years, we've just been unable to get away and, and do that. But uh, last weekend, we had that opportunity. And it's a great time for us as a staff to, to come together and uh, to just get to to know each other a little better, to grow a little closer together, to grow a little closer to God, but also to just sort of rehash some, some visionary things uh, for the life of our church. And I believe that ultimately uh, us getting away as a staff uh, benefits the life of this church, the life of, of this faith family. And so it was a great time to get away. I'm so appreciative of all those who, who filled in for the staff uh, while we were away last week. We had... Uh, people from the children to the pulpit, uh, that the children's ministry to the pulpit that filled in in a lot of different ways and uh, just so thankful that we have a, a church full of leaders that can allow us to get away like that and uh, spend some time together as a staff. But it was really good. But we are glad to be back with you this morning. Uh, there's nowhere that we would rather be than be with our faith family on Sunday morning. And so it's great to be here with, the, with you, and it's good to see you here this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. We're going to dive into God's Word here this morning. We're, we started a series a couple of weeks ago, ago called Upside Down, and we've been talking about how Jesus came into this world, and he flipped it upside down. I mean, he came with a, a lot of fresh ideas and, and, and new truths that people had never heard. And so he, he came into this world, and he presented those truths to the world, and, and the world has never been the same since. And so uh, I want to pray for us this morning. We're going to dive into God's Word, and I, I'm I'm confident that God has a great message for us here this morning, one that's going to encourage us and, and challenge us at the same time. So let's pray together as a faith family, and then we'll dive into God's Word together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for your presence in this place, and what a, a remarkable time of worship it has been for us to sing collectively together, to lift our voices collectively together in honor of you. And, and in praises of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for, uh, God, the, the works that you do here and in our lives as individuals. And God, we just, we just acknowledge this morning that, God, we, we cannot get through this life without you. God, there's nothing more glorious to us than you. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity we have to, to gather in this place and to worship you in spirit and truth. To, uh, to be encouraged by your word, to be challenged by your word. And God, we, uh, we recognize that everything that we do here is all for your glory. God, we want to lift high the name of Jesus. And God, we want to proclaim his name, not only to ourselves, but to the world. And God, we just thank you for your presence now as we prepare to dive into your word. God, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be uh, changed forever and ever. Father, we just thank you for all of this, and it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray, amen. This morning, I want to uh, start off by uh, challenging us to think about our relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of us who came in here this morning as believers in Christ Jesus, as disciples, as children of God, we have a relationship with Jesus, and I just want to challenge you to think about that for just a moment. A.W. Tozer, he, he once asked this question. He says, what comes to mind 
when you think of God as the most important thing about yourself. You know, so often as we think about God, we sort of think about God and, and, and we don't think about ourselves while we're thinking of God or while we're thinking of ourselves, we don't really uh, think about God. We don't bring the two together. But, but he proposes this question, which I believe is a very profound question. It's a very deep question. It's a question that would challenge us to think about these things. And, and, and so uh, let me just read it again because I think it's so powerful. But he says, what comes to mind when you think of God as the most important thing about yourself? And I want you to just think about that for a moment. I want that question to just sort of permeate your heart this morning. I want you to allow that to, to sink in and to think about what this means. There are so many things that can run through our minds when we hear this question. There are so many thoughts that we may have, so many things that we may instantly start thinking about. I know for me, as I even typed out that question in preparation to, to bring that question to you, I, I started thinking about what that means for me as I think about God being the most important thing about myself. And immediately I began to think about my faith. I began to think about uh, my saving faith. I began to think about uh, the, the day when, when Christ Jesus saved me from my sin. And I started thinking about my relationship with him and the faith that I have in Christ. And I, I started thinking about all those things. And I, I, I started going down sort of a walk down memory lane, thinking about all that God had done and accomplished in my life and, and how as a person of faith, I, there have been moments in my life where I trusted Jesus and there have been other moments where fear sort of took over and I just thought about all those things. I began to think about my calling as, as a pastor and, and, and the reality that God called me out of the workplace. He called me out of a business and, and he says, I want you to go out there and I want you to, to, to do what I've called you to do and how that was so scary in my life. And, but I started thinking about how God is just everything to me. My relationship with Jesus means everything to me. And I started remembering all of these things and, and as I thought through those things, I began to wonder. I began to think how I was sort of missing thinking about just how awesome Jesus was. In other words, I'd sort of lost my awe of God. And as I was preparing for this message, I just thought, man, this is where we, we need to go. This morning I wanna talk to you about Jesus being the greatest treasure in your life. I want to talk about Jesus being the greatest treasure in your life. Now, as children of God, as disciples of Christ Jesus, he is indeed the greatest treasure in our life. And if I were to ask you how many of you agree with that, you would probably, you know, all give Jesus a big hand. In fact, let me just ask you this morning, how many of you believe that Jesus is the greatest treasure in your life? And there's no doubt we think about that. We think that Jesus is, is certainly the greatest treasure in our life. But, but uh, as believers in Christ Jesus, thinking about the, the reality that he is the greatest treasure, when we find ourselves in that place where we recognize that Jesus is our greatest treasure, when we find ourselves living in that so, sort of moment or that, with that sort of attitude, we typically also find ourselves being filled with joy, being at peace despite our circumstances, 
living a life where we are sort of worshiping Jesus with our life and, and living for him. And when we find ourselves at a place where we stand in awe of Christ Jesus, we find ourselves just loving Jesus more and more. And he becomes this great God that he is and to us. And, and we just fall more and more in love with him. And we become very thankful to him for all that he has accomplished and everything that he has done for us. And so when we find ourselves standing in awe of Jesus, that's where we typically find ourselves. But if we find ourselves on the opposite end of that, where we may find ourselves living our life and we may say things like, uh, you know, I just feel like I'm going through a dry spell. You ever been there before where you, where you sort of don't feel uh, the way you used to feel about uh, about things, about Christianity, about your faith? And, and oftentimes when we are standing or walking in our life without a sense of awe for God, we often have to battle things like fear and anxiety and uncertainty and all of these things that we just really hate when it comes to our life. We, we despise these things. I don't think there's any of us here that just love living lives of anxiousness where we're wringing our hands over every circumstance that exists in our life. And so the reality is we want to find ourselves living in a place of joy, living in a place of peace, living in a place of assurance, knowing that Jesus is in control, knowing that God is sovereign. That's where we want to find ourselves. That's where we want to live. And we don't want to live in that other place. And so today I want to talk about strengthening our awe of God. I want to talk about strengthening this all, this understanding that God truly is greater than anything we've ever known in our life and that he truly is our Savior, Jesus Christ, truly is our greatest treasure. And so that's what we want to kind of dive into this morning and look at. We want Jesus to be our greatest treasure in our life. Jesus once said this, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When Jesus becomes our greatest treasure, our heart can find itself no other place but in Jesus. And I love that. I tell you, more than anything else in this world, I desire that every one of us in this room would see Jesus as our greatest treasure. That we would stand in complete awe of who he is. And so that's what this message is about this morning. Uh, we're gonna be diving into Philippians chapter three, Philippians chapter three, verses eight through 11. Go ahead and turn there if you will this morning. Philippians chapter eight, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter three, verses eight through 11. Now, if you remember, when I kicked off this series, we were looking at the story of a man named Saul. We all know who Saul was. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but, but Saul was this guy who was, who was very religious, he was very educated, and he completely despised Christians. He completely despised Jesus. And he set about, as sort of a life mission, to do away with, to, to destroy this thing called the way he set about to, to do away with, 
with people believing in Jesus and he wanted to wipe Christianity off the face of the planet and he began to persecute, he began to throw people in jail. If you follow Jesus, you're going to jail. If you, if you follow Jesus, you might even die for it. And he even himself authorized people to be killed for their faith in Christ Jesus. This was a, a dirty man, this was a mean and nasty individual, but Saul began this this journey to Damascus because he wanted to go and have even more arrested. And along the way, on this road to Damascus, he encountered Jesus Christ, and Jesus radically transformed his life. We talked about that just two weeks ago. We shared this story. And so Saul was this this guy that was wanting to destroy Christianity, and now in the text that we're going to be reading today, we see a totally same man just a different person, a different attitude, a different belief, a different understanding. And so here we see something truly amazing that I want us to look at here this morning. We see the same guy who's been radically transformed by the power and the presence of Jesus in his life. And the things that we once read about Paul, we now read something totally different about Paul. In fact, it's Paul who is writing it. He's the one who is writing these words as he is writing this letter to the believers there in Philippi. And so in the letter of Philippians, he's writing this letter in chapter 3, starting with verse 8. And we read these words. Read this with me, if you will. Paul says this. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes, uh, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Now this morning, I want to ask you a few rhetorical questions to kind of get this thing started, because I think these questions are very important to us to consider if we're going to strengthen our all in God, if we're going to strengthen our awareness and our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I think these questions are very challenging. As I was typing out these different questions, I, I, I found myself even being challenged by these questions. And, and so I want to I give you all three of them, and then we're going to look at them all individually here this morning. There's three questions here this morning, questions to consider as we look at this text. The first question is this, what did you think life would be like when you trusted Jesus? I think that's a fair question, isn't it? What did you think your life would be like when you trusted Jesus? What did you think you were getting into? What did you think you were receiving? What was the benefits of trusting in Jesus? What, what were your expectations of being a follower of Christ Jesus? And so that's the first question. The second question is this. Is your identity in Jesus strong enough to hold up to the loss of your job or your title or your position? Or anything else you might want to include in there. Your life, your marriage, your, you know, whatever. Is your identity in Christ strong enough to help you persevere through whatever it is that you're going through? The third question would be this. 
Is your hope found in your works and your religion or in your Savior? And again, I think these are really fair questions for us to ask ourselves as we process this passage. And the reason that I would say that is because as we look at this text, even though the Apostle Paul wasn't asked these questions, we find his answers to all three of these questions. Now, the reality is as we dive into this text, And as we ponder those three questions, I can't answer these questions for you. There's no way I can answer these for you. But I believe it does us a lot of good, and we can benefit greatly by looking at how Paul himself would have answered these questions. Had Paul been interviewed by a reporter and asked these three questions, I believe that we have the answers right here and what it is that Paul is presenting to us in this short text. And so I want us to look at that this morning And I want us to learn from this because I think this is truly, truly powerful uh, text that we're looking at. Paul has so much to say here. He has so much to offer. And I was just sitting here thinking that if we're here today and Jesus does not look to us as glorious as he once used to look to us, then we need to answer these questions. If we're here today, and, and you know, when, when we knew Jesus, uh, when we trusted Jesus, Jesus was glorious. I mean, he, there was nothing great on this earth, but today we're living in a place where maybe he just doesn't seem as glorious. Then we need to listen and hear what the Word of God is teaching us concerning this idea of strengthening our all in God. Because we benefit greatly when we, as we already discussed, when we, we benefit greatly when, when we strengthen our all or our understanding or our worship to Jesus. And so this morning, if we're here and he doesn't look as glorious, we need to look at this. If we're, if we're desiring to just simply strengthen our all in God, we need to see this. So the first question is this. What did you think your life would be like when you trusted Jesus. You know, have you ever found yourself thinking that Christianity is much different than you expected? You know, that can go both ways, actually. There, I've had conversations with a lot of different people who have given their life to Christ and maybe even followed Jesus for a very long time in their life, and I've heard both ends of the spectrum. I've heard people that came to me and says, man, I gave my life to Jesus, and I had no idea it was going to be this good. And they begin to talk about the blessings that they have in Christ and how they just feel that they have just been filled with the grace of God, and they've been living their life, and everything is going so wonderful and so marvelous, and it's just amazing, and, and it, it, it's met their greatest expectations following Jesus could not have been any greater of a decision uh, for them in their life. But then on the other hand, I've heard the other end where people who have surrendered their life to Christ Jesus, it seems as though every day is a day of suffering. In fact, when we look in Scripture, we see those who gave their life to Christ, who trusted Jesus, even Paul himself, his life often defined not just by blessing, but through suffering. I mean, the Apostle Paul suffered greatly at the hands of many who still hated Jesus, even though he was now in love with Jesus. And so uh, it can go really both ways. But the reality is, oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where we we, 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 we come to this understanding that Christianity isn't what we expected. And so we ask this question, what do you think life, what did you think your life would be like when you trusted Christ? And I think that's a very fair question. Here's what Paul says in verse 8 of this text. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now think about who's saying this. This man named Paul who used to be Saul, and he's saying, you know, I, I tell you what, uh, when, when I gave, my, when I trusted Jesus, when I followed Jesus with my life, when I surrendered my life to Christ on that road to Damascus, when I came to an awareness of who Jesus was, that he was the Lord of my life, he was my Savior, when I gave my life, he says, man, I just never looked back. I just never looked back. And so Paul here, he's, he's basically describing the worth of his Savior. And he's telling us very clearly that Jesus is his greatest treasure. He says here in verse 8, he says, I count everything that was before as loss. I don't even, I don't even look back anymore. I, I just count it all a loss. And he says it's because of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying Jesus Jesus is my treasure. Jesus is everything to me. He is my Christ. He is my Lord. He is everything. And the surpassing worth of knowing him is greater than anything. And so I believe Paul would be saying this. He'd be saying, he would be saying to us here this morning, if he was with us, he would say, he would say man, it's met my greatest expectations. Now, this is coming from a man who has suffered. This is coming from a man who is suffering. In fact, when he's writing this letter, he's in prison. And so here's a man who knows suffering. He understands the hardships that have come with his faith in Christ Jesus. And yet he says, I count everything before this as loss. Because I know the treasure I have in Christ Jesus. He says, Jesus means everything to me. I remember when we were in seminary up in North Carolina, I was a full-time student. I was taking as many classes as I could. I was also a full-time husband. You can't stop being that. I was a full-time dad. I had two daughters, and they were in middle school, and that's, you know, the end of your world right there, you know, pretty much, you know, when you're children. I'm just kidding. They're awesome. But, but I, we, were, we were living our life, and it was hard. I mean, full-time school being a husband, being a dad, and not only that, but I was an associate pastor at a local church, and I was serving uh, nearly full-time in that capacity, and there were just no more hours in my day. I mean, I was getting very little sleep. I was just doing all I could to, to make things happen. Linnell was working a full-time job as well, and we were just trying to get through this thing called seminary so we could move on and, and do ministry, and, and, and life was just motoring along. We were doing really good, and I remember one day I came in, and Linnell was in the kitchen. As I walked through, I was in a hurry. You know, I've just got my book bag. I've got to set that down. I've got to grab my other stuff and get to work. And, and so I walk in. And as I walk in, Linnell says, hey, can we talk? And, and in typical fashion, I did something like this. Yeah, what's up? Right? I mean, I just keep on going because I assume she's going to walk with me. You know, come with me. I'm, I'm in a hurry. I've got to get out of here. And she goes, no, I mean, can we, can we, like, talk for a second? And I said, sure, what's up? And she says, you need to sit down. Now, that's when I knew this was a different conversation. We'd had the other kind of conversation over and over and over. She says, I really need you to sit down. And, and men, let me just say, our response when something like that happens is critical at that moment, right? I mean, we need to, we need to make sure we get this one right. So I set my book bag down, and I sat down, and I'm sure my bottom lip was quivering because I didn't know what was going on. 
I mean, she had caught me totally off guard. It was a great day so far. I don't know if this is going to turn and go south from here on out. I just don't know what to expect. I have no idea what she's fixing to say to me. And I, I'm just like, I, 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 okay, uh, uh, what? And she says, well, um, I just need to tell you something. I said, okay. You know, and I, I'm just thinking, I don't know what could be happening. And she says, we only have $17 in our bank account. I'll never forget that number as long as I live. $17. I mean, it was down to $17. We had two children in school. We had mouths to feed. The paycheck wasn't going to be to the end of the month. We had $17. I wasn't sure what books I might need. I mean, it, you know, $17, you might as well have said we were just completely broke. I mean, that's, that's going to buy dinner tonight. That's it, right? What we do for the rest of the month, I don't know. But I sat there and I said, okay. And she goes, did you hear what I said? I said, yeah, I heard you. And she says, $17 is what we have in the account. And then she said this. She says, what do you think about that? Now, I don't know what she's getting at. I know what I'm thinking about that, but I don't know, is she expecting me to go out and get yet another job, which I didn't have any time for? I just don't know. And so I thought of the greatest answer I could possibly give her in that moment. My answer to her when she said, what do you think about that, was this. Well, what do you think about it? <laughs> I want more information, you see. I'm no dummy. I'm not going to just speak up without really knowing what she's getting at, you know. And she says, well, I mean, she says, and she said, I've been thinking about it. I said, good, because I haven't had the time you have on this, you know. And she said, I've been thinking about it. And I'll never forget these words that she said. This just it was so wise for her to say this. And it, man, it just made me feel better. And it just helped me with this verse right here so much she said to me and I'll never forget this she says well I was just thinking about it and quite honestly it feels good doesn't it I said no not really <laughs> but you're spiritually more deep than I am so uh, no I, I said well I guess I still I don't know if it's not a trick question you know I mean and so I said well what do you mean by that and she says well I, she says I just love the fact that we're at a place where there's, there's no debt, there's no bills to pay, this and that, you know, we have $17, but we're totally dependent on God. And God is just our greatest treasure. We have Jesus. We don't have much in the account, but we have Jesus. And I remember just hearing that and thinking, my goodness, how incredibly wise it is, and I'm late for work. I gotta go, you know. You work it out. Sounds like you got it figured out, you know. And I took off out the door as quick as I could before she told me I had to get another job. But anyway, it was, but I, I look at this passage, and this is what I see Paul saying. Paul is saying to the Philippians, he says, man, everything I once had I mean, yeah, I, you know, some of that stuff, I mean, that's good stuff, that's important stuff and all this, but I don't really concern myself with that because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. The word worth here is pointing to a value. Uh, uh, it's a financial term. It's, it's pointing to a value. It's pointing to a treasure. He's saying that Jesus is the greatest treasure in my life. And my prayer, my desire, my hope 
for every one of us here this morning as we have gathered in this room together to collectively hear from God, my prayer this morning is that every one of us would be able to walk out of this room here today and say, Jesus is my greatest treasure. And so Paul, if you're wondering what he thought his life would be like when he trusted Jesus, I think we hear the answer to it right there because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. You know, we really shouldn't be surprised when our world gets flipped upside down. We really shouldn't be caught off guard. We really shouldn't be taken to a place of fear and uncertainty and, 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 and just being people who are overcome by the maybe even difficult circumstances in our life. Again, here's a man who is writing from prison unsure about what the next few days may hold. And he's describing Jesus as his greatest treasure. In fact, Jesus himself said that it would be that way. Jesus, Jesus had a way of saying things that just didn't make sense. You ever, you ever read through the scripture, read through the gospels, and you listen to what Jesus said? Jesus once said this. He says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he says this in verse 39 of Matthew 10. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you ever had a puppy dog where you, where you try to get his attention and he cocks his head a little bit like this? You know, he kind of like, he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, you know? That's what I feel like the disciples did when he said, whoever loses his life will find it, and whoever finds his life will lose it. Say that one more time. I'm trying to track with you, Jesus. He just had a way of just sort of inverting everything that the world said. The world says it's this way. He says, no, 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 it's, it's this way. You ever notice that about Jesus? He's always doing it. He's always kind of messing with our heads like that. You know, he just kind of, Inverting, He's always flipping everything upside down. We, we have to really kind of process what it is Jesus is trying to say. The second question that we want to look at here this morning is this. And this is, a, this is an important question for us to, to look at here together this morning. But the question is this. Is your identity in Jesus strong enough to hold up to the loss of your job or your title or your position or anything else in your life that you want to just put a blank there and insert whatever you're dealing with in your life here this morning. But what the question is basically saying is, is your identity in Christ good enough to sustain you in life? Is your identity in Christ good enough to help you persevere despite whatever it is that you are going through? Now notice what Paul how he would have answered this question when he, asked, when he says these words. I believe this is the answer to this question for Paul. He says this. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them in, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now think about what Paul's saying. He says, everything that I had in my life is now gone. Everything in my life is gone. It's, it's not a part of my life anymore. Think about who Paul was when he was 
called Saul, when this man Saul, he was very educated. He was, he was a leader in the religious circles. I mean, he was a man of high stature. He was a man who had positioning. He was a man who had titles. He had more titles than you could shake a stick at. I mean, here was a guy who had, as the world would claim, everything going for him, right? And so on this road to Damascus, he encounters Jesus. And Jesus says, I am your God. Jesus says, I am your Lord. And he, he, he tells this to Jesus. And, and at this point, he embraces this truth. He embraces the truth about who Christ is. And he proclaims Jesus as Lord of his life. And then his disciples, we talked about this two weeks ago, his disciples come in and they acknowledge him as a brother in Christ Jesus. You remember, he is now welcomed, not really welcomed, but kind of brought into the family of God. And so here's this man whose life has been turned upside down, this man's life who's been radically transformed, and he is very much aware that everything he used to be is about to be lost. Positioning, title, stature, all of that gone. In fact, it is those people who are going to become his enemy. Here's a man who's giving up everything for Jesus. And we see this acknowledgement when he says, I have suffered the loss, not of some things, of all things. You see that? I have suffered the loss of all things, he says, but I count them as rubbish. Rubbish is not a word that we use typically around here in South Georgia. In fact, I hardly ever hear it. Go to London, you'll hear this word, you know, but but we don't typically use it. It means garbage. It means garbage. It means trash. Paul says that titles I held, the, that positioning I held, that stature I had, that's nothing compared to the worth that I have in Jesus Christ. Jesus is my treasure. I love what Oswald Chambers once said. He says, don't, Rejoice in successful service, but rejoice because you are richly blessed. Richly blessed how? By the love of Jesus Christ. Don't elevate the gift above the giver. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that you ever received, or if you're not a believer today, the greatest gift you could ever receive. He is the greatest treasure of this universe. He is the creator of the heaven and the earth. And today, I pray that our view of him, that our understanding of him, that everything we believe about Jesus would be elevated to a point where we stand today in awe of everything that he is and everything that he has done. That's what I pray. John the Baptist, he once said this. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I love what he says here. This joy of mine is now complete. Why? Because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And he says, I must he must increase, and I must decrease. This afternoon, this evening, actually, I'm going to be getting on a plane and flying to the Middle East. 
I'm going over there to work with some church planners this week and hopefully encourage them and visit with them and maybe maybe do some whiteboarding and different things with them. But uh, these are guys that are that are giving their life in a, in a Middle East country to see the gospel go forth. And, and I'm just so thankful for them and so many thousands of others like them who are on the mission field. But one of the things that you hear quite often from missionaries in Muslim countries is them telling the story of the sacrifice it takes when Muslims give their life to Christ Jesus. I mean, you hear this. I mean, you don't have to hear this from me. You've probably seen it on testimonials that you receive by email or vlogs or whatever. But we all know this to be a reality. Over there in the Middle East, for a Muslim to surrender his life to Christ, he's basically given up everything else in his life because he is Muslim. He works for Muslims, so he's going to lose his job. His family is Muslim, so they're, they're going to disown him. The place where he is staying is being rented from Muslims, and so he's going to be booted out onto the street. I mean, they give up so much. They may even be surrendering their life for Jesus. We live in a world today where it is very easy to say, I surrender all. But what do we really surrender that compares to giving it all for Christ? The Apostle Paul, he says, man, I lost everything. But he's not complaining. He's rejoicing. He's not complaining. We must understand that. He's saying, I lost it all, but that means nothing to me because Jesus means everything to me. And so here we see yet another question that is answered for us here in this passage. The final question is this. Is your hope found in your works and your religion or in your Savior? And I think this is probably one of the most important questions that we could ask. Uh, in fact, I want to be just completely honest with you. When I wrote this question down, it really challenged me. And in fact, it wrecked me. I mean, this, this question, it ripped me apart when I read this because as I was, I was writing, I was like, oh, this is a good question. And then it was as if God himself said, Dave, would you answer that for me? And I was like, oh, goodness. You know, it's just one of those where I looked at it and I, I, want, us to, I want us to hear this question. I want us to... Think about what this question is asking. Is your hope, is it found in your efforts and your works and your religion or is it found in your Savior? You know, one of the, one of the questions that we could ask is why is it that we come to church? Is it because we feel like we have to check off a box every week? If, if we don't come to church, Jesus will be mad at us. Or do we come to church for Jesus? It's not a box that we're checking off. It's not, a, it's not a work. It's not an action that we're living for here. It's a Savior, and his name is Jesus that we're living for. And we must ask ourselves, and ourselves, what are we living for? What is our hope found in? Is it found in Christ, or is it found in everything else? Because we are so good at living our life all along and everything we do, feeling uh, the, the, as though we're not doing good enough. We, we feel as though we're, we're just not living well enough, and, and we, begin to, we begin to work harder at being righteous. We begin to work harder at living for Jesus, and, and we just carry with us this burden of guilt because we just feel like we're not pleasing God when we must realize that our righteousness gets us nowhere anyway. 
The apostle Paul here, he points this out, that he's not riding on his own self-righteousness. He's riding on the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And it's not about his religion. In fact, he's denied his religion. He's, he's not riding on his works. He's denied that. He's saying, praise God for Jesus in my life because that's who I need more than anything else in this world. He's declaring to us this morning that his hope is in Christ. Look at what he says here, and we're almost done. He says, not having a righteousness of my own. Paul's acknowledging, there is no such thing as righteousness in me. We use this word, self-righteous. Really, that's sort of a, a weird word because is, we're, we're not righteous on our own. Our righteousness comes from the righteousness of Christ Jesus. We would never be righteous without Christ. Righteousness basically means being made right with God. That's the, that's the way we're using this word here. But Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Remember, he used to be a teacher of the law. He used to make sure that others upheld the law. He was a guy who was a very religious guy that lived for the law, preached the law, preached good works through the law, preached all of these things, and he said, I used to live, my hope was in my works and my teachings and my religion, but no longer. My hope is in Christ Jesus. And we know that the Son of God has come, excuse me, not having righteousness of my own comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. Paul's hope was in Christ Jesus. Authentic Christianity has never been about a religion. It's always been about a relationship in Christ Jesus. It's always been about a relationship in Christ Jesus. You see, God is not some sort of detached deity. He didn't create the heavens and the earth. He didn't create all that we know and then sort of remove himself and just wind it up and let it go. God has always been a very personal God. We know this because we read through the scriptures, we see this. In fact, one of the greatest things that we know about God being relational is the reality that it says in the scripture that God loved us so much that he would send his son to come to this earth and walk a perfect life, to ultimately go to the cross where he would die, his flesh torn apart, his blood spilled on the ground for the atonement of our sins. He'd be buried in a tomb. In three days, he would have victory over sin and death for our benefit. That's what the gospel says about Jesus Christ. It's not about your works. It's not about your religion. It's about what Christ Jesus accomplished on the cross on your behalf. That's what it's always been about. 1 John 5, 20 says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So where's your hope this morning? Where's your hope? My prayer is your hope is in Christ Jesus. My prayer is that your hope 
is in Christ Jesus. You know, as we look at this text, I guess as we examine this text, we have one more question to add. It's not one I gave you earlier, but the one I wrote down was this. As we examine our life, what is it about our agenda and our values and even our trajectory that needs to change? There are so many distractions in our life these days. There are so many things that stand in our way of truly understanding who Jesus is and understanding him in the fullest of ways, experiencing him in the fullest of ways. And so, I don't know, maybe for some of us here today, there are distractions in our life that we just need to rid ourselves of. There are things in our life that are competing for Jesus. Maybe for some of us here today, there, there are things that, that we need to rid ourselves of so that we can more fully and completely walk with Christ. Maybe the issue is that we're not walking with Jesus. Jesus once said, abide in me and I will abide in you. And so there's this idea, this truth, if you will, this truth that Jesus is walking with us. He is living out life with us. And maybe we're just not walking closely with Jesus. Maybe we know him. Maybe we trust him for our salvation. But we're not abiding in him. We're not walking with him. So maybe for some of us here today, what we need more than anything is to abide in Christ Jesus. Or maybe we're just not praying like we ought to. You know, Jesus set the example for prayer. He prayed consistently and constantly. Over and over in Scripture, you read through the Gospels, you see where Jesus, he, he distanced himself from every distraction and he went to the Father in prayer. Prayer is perhaps the greatest tool that we've ever been given because prayer is that which enables us to commune with God. Jesus is personal. Jesus is walking with us, and he's given us prayer that we can fellowship with him, that we can have conversation with him. And I believe sometimes maybe God is trying to get our attention, and we're much like the, the guy who walks in and the wife says, can we talk? And he says, sure, what's up? Right? Walk with me as I, as I go on with the busyness of my day, Jesus. And maybe Jesus is saying to us this morning, no, you don't understand. I need you to, I need you to sit down for a minute. Because I want more of you. And I want you to have more of me. And so prayer becomes one of the greatest tools that we have to fellowship with Jesus. This morning, we have a remarkable opportunity to go to the Lord in prayer. In a moment, the band's gonna come up here, they're gonna sing, they're gonna, they're gonna lead us in this time of worship, which will end out the, close out the service, and so we have this remarkable opportunity, but we have this remarkable opportunity to just spend some time with God, to be still and just speak to Him and allow Him to speak into our life. And let me just say to you this morning, maybe, maybe you wanna come and and meet with me or meet with Pastor Gabe or, or some of the others or maybe you want to turn with your friend and pray and that's fine, that's, that's something. If, if Maybe that's your greatest need in your life, just to pray with a friend. Ethan's down here as well. I mean, there's a lot of us that you can come to and, and pray. 
But let me just say this. This altar is a great place to come and pray. And let me tell you why. Because I, I believe, I truly believe that, that oftentimes we sort of overlook what this, this altar is all about. I, I believe this altar is an opportunity for us to move into place and to basically say to God, I surrender. Yes, it involves us getting, away, getting up out of a place that we're very comfortable, sort of hidden among the crowd and coming to the altar. I, I understand it's sort of going outside of our comfort zone. I, I get that, but th this place is a place where we can come to God and we can say to God, God, I surrender all. I give it to you. It's a place where we can humble ourselves. It's a place where we can come and we can just, we can just turn to God and say, God, I acknowledge you as the greatest need of my life. It's a place where we can say, God, I need you more in my life, and, and I am so thankful for Jesus in my life. It's a place where we can come and get on our knees, and we can say to God, God, today, I stand in awe of you. I stand in awe of you. I pray that today, that as we close out this service, that your thoughts of Jesus, your awareness of Jesus, your desire for Jesus has been elevated to a place where you say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. There's room for everybody. Believe me. And so in just a moment, as the band comes out and they lead us in a time of worship, you respond however it is that God is calling you to respond. It's an opportunity for us to cast aside the thoughts of where we're going to eat lunch today and focus entirely on Jesus, who is not just a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, but he's the savior of our life.